More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Well, hello there. And welcome to Monday. And the EIB Network, the Rush Limbaugh Show. I am your guide host today. A lot to talk about. Hope you had a good weekend. I hope it's sunny where you are. We got a little rain, and then we get sun, and then we get wind here in the battleground state of PA. So how many people caught any, any part of Joe Biden? He was recently installed, as you know. Joe Biden uh, was at the G7, and it was one of this... It, It was scary and entertaining at the same time. And I kind of feel guilty because personally I was entertained by so much of it. Um, Every stage that Joe Biden gets on, uh, he is more exposed the bigger the stage. You know, if, if you put him on a stage with seven people in circles and then CNN edits his presentation, he actually could pass for somebody Maybe the city council person or, you know, a state rep who doesn't get out much. But when he's on the world stage, I think this is why he said this uh, just like two hours ago. Joe Biden said he's not going to have a public press conference with Putin. And that's probably a good idea. It's probably a good idea because I think I think uh, Joe's going to be so devastated when he comes out of that meeting with Putin, Putin is going to hand Joe Biden his lunch. It breaks my heart to believe that, but we know it's true. We know it's true. By the way, Biden and G7 leaders have agreed, for the most part, to end public support of the coal industry. This is You cannot write this. So much of it was predicted, but you cannot write it. All you have to do is get yourself a copy of the Communist Manifesto and read through it. Biden agreed Saturday with other leaders of the Group of Seven, the wealthiest democracies, to end government support of coal generation for power by the end of this year. Now, see, I thought Biden ended public support for coal years ago. 
because his main advisor is Obama. This is pretty much the third term of Obama. But by the end of this year, and they claim the the accelerated action is needed to address, wait for it, climate change. So there's still milk in the climate change thing. Counterparts committed to spend $2 billion collectively on a new industrial decarbonization agenda to speed up decarbonization technology and harmonize standards. I don't know what that means. That's me saying that. I don't know. What does that mean? Harmony? Decarbonization? Carbon is the building block of all life. So it makes total sense that Joe Biden would want to get rid of it. It's crazy. A handful of people at G7 said, you know, China might be a security risk. What do you think? And Joe Biden doesn't think, so that's a problem there. This is just a crazy time. I don't know if you heard some of what he said, but it was he at one point he broke into kind of a gibberish kind of thing. And it should scare you. I know a lot of liberals that support Biden and especially people that hate Trump. And there are people in the Republican Party and the Democrat Party that hate Trump. And I can understand that that hate can be blinding. Because President Trump is a very successful man. And he did a very good job as president comparatively. So the hate is probably seething. But you can't let that hate blind you to the fact that we have a guy who can't do the job in the Oval Office, and now he's meeting with, with I'm not going to say parasites, but he's meeting with heavy hitters, with the exception of Macron. Uh, Macron is a little whiner. Did you see what he said? He said, it's so good to have America back in the club again. But he said it with a with a uh, accent, a French accent. French President Emmanuel Macron who has had his differences with Mr. Trump. (laughs) Yeah, he has. He said the U.S. is definitely back on the world stage. We've got a lot to deal with, and it's great to have the U.S. president, Joe Biden, part of the club and willing to cooperate. You know, when someone like Mark Crone, did you see that woman slap him last week? Was that not one of the most entertaining things you've ever seen? Was it a woman or a man? I can't, you know, I'm not picking on French people, but I didn't know. I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't know, and I want to be politically correct. Did you see that human slap President Macron last week? First thing, I thought two things. His situational awareness is terrible. And number two, where was his security? I mean, he got a slap to the face, and I was thrilled. I just wish that the guy could have got another one in on him. You know, maybe both cheeks. So Macron says he's thrilled that Joe Biden's willing to communicate uh, to cooperate when the French president is happy about your cooperation as an American president I think we're going in the wrong direction now let's go back to when Trump brought the thunder to NATO here's rush what does NATO do we all think we know, but what, what would you say, Mr. Snurdly, if, if a political neophyte approached you with genuine curiosity and wanted to know what NATO does, what is it? Good. Exactly right. Snurdly has a down path. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization is uh, an organization formed in the aftermath of the Cold War. European nations and other Western democracies aligning to defend and protect each other 
from Soviet aggression. This is prior to the Soviets becoming the Russians. Well, the Soviets have always been Russians, but now they're not called Soviets because there isn't any Soviet Union. Putin is trying to reassemble the Soviet Union. It's now called the Russian Federation. And member nations love being members because it basically means the United States is going to defend them. NATO member states are required as dues to spend minimum 2% of their GDP every year on their own defense. Most member nations have not been doing so. Some have not spent any on defense. Some are in the 1% range, 1.9. United States is 3.3%, by the way. A couple other nations are at 2%, two above, but most are beneath. Germany, Germany's 1.9%. Germany's not even meeting its requirements. This is very crucial because it allows all these European nations to not have to spend anything on defense as a percentage of their budgets compared to the United States, which defends itself and the world. The United States is bearing the lion's share of actual defense on the ground responsibility, armaments, production and deployment, and dues. Money for the defense of Europe. Fine, we're the superpower, we're the leader of the free world, we have to stand for the defense of liberty everywhere if it's going to mean anything here, understand that. But many of these nations are allowed, therefore, to have these giant welfare states and open border immigration policies because they theoretically have all the money to pay for this because they're not having to pay for their own defense. And they're never called on it. The entire life of NATO, no American president... Look, I take this back. Most American presidents have, in official and protocol-related circumstances, referred to this circumstance. But they've never called out any of these nations who have been in arrears. It's almost a perfunctory-like statement, either at a NATO conference or at the United Nations or some such thing. But there's never any teeth behind it. Trump came along in the campaign and started attacking NATO as an illegitimate organization. It's not carrying its own weight, way too dependent on the United States. It's not fair. And going forward, they're going to pay up. They're going to pay their fair share. Well, of course, establishmentarians around the world were in shock disbelief. This just isn't done. Things like this are not even thought, much less said. Who does Trump think he is? He doesn't understand. The rules are that the United States is the world butt boy when it comes to this stuff, because the United States is the wealthiest, richest nation on Earth. And the United States must pay for everybody else. It's only fair. That's the kind of thing Obama believes. And all of these Western European socialists and democracies, they believe the same thing. And Trump's come along and said, screw that. Amazing. You know what Rush sounds like there? The great American he is. That's what Rush sounds like. He sounds like Americans. And when he said butt boy, I remember that segment. I just about drove off the road. But it's true. It's true. Most Americans, and I would imagine, too, even Democrats, do not want our country to be subservient to any other country. And the ones that do, I believe, there's profit in it for them. That's the only reason. Like, say, an Eric Swalwell, the guy who's uh, allegedly sleeping with the Chinese spy, but he's he's on some security committee as well. That's the type of guy that, you know, well, this is great that China's going to be helping us with our power grid. 
But most people don't want that. Most people would react the same way Rush did. Why are we doing the heavy lifting for the world when most of the time, when countries have an opportunity to dump on us, they do? Here's KT McFarlane. Putin is looking at Biden and is saying, how far can I push you? What can I get away with? Let me look at what I've already gotten away with. I've already gotten away with massing troops on the Ukraine border and kicking the Americans out of the Black Sea. I've already gotten away with ransomware attacks on American critical infrastructure and industry. I've already gotten away with potentially election hacking. And I've already gotten away with a number of other things you and I probably don't know about because they're way behind the curtain. So Putin has got to be looking at Joe Biden to say, you know, you're not standing up on me for any of these things. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing in the cyber technology area. I'm going to keep pushing militarily because I don't think you've got it in you. Now, what is Biden going to be doing? I think so far Biden has talked a good game about Putin. He's called him a killer, but he's done nothing to stand up to the Russians. In fact, at every opportunity, he's caved. That's the problem with people that don't put America first. You could go back, if I'm not mistaken, it was 2008 and Russia and Georgia, going back to that, not the Georgia of Stacey Abrams, the other Georgia. And then you could probably, I think, 2014 with Crimea, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on the dates. I don't I don't have it in front of me. And Obama and now Joe Biden with the Ukraine again. I think Putin knows since he's got a message from Bush, Obama and now Biden, it's slap around time again. He's going to be slap happy because President Donald J. Trump was the only guy that came along and said, no, 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 don't cross that line. Don't tick me off. I mean, sure, I'll respect you. We can even trade, but don't tick me off. And uh, when you look at Ukraine and quid pro quo Biden, I, th- it, well, we could go on all day about that. But I think Putin has had too many opportunities in the last, say, 20 years to go, you know, you can push these Americans pretty far until Trump came in. And then it was all bets are off because he's America first. But that's been the problem with this country for decades. We don't get American firsters in the Oval Office. The number is 800-282-2882 if you'd like to join the conversation. Coming up on the EIB Network. Thank you again for tuning in to the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Network. And our number is 800-282-2882. My name is Ken Matthews. I'm your guide host today. Hope you're having a great Monday. There's a lot of things coming up. It's uh, Flag Day and uh, a few other surprises as well. You know, Israel is the best Middle East ally of the United States. And the United States is Israel's best advocate the entire world over. They have a new leader now. And uh, before I forget, I I just want to call your attention to uh, in the Business Insider, there's an article about the new leader of Israel, Naftali Bennett. And he is a tech millionaire, son of Berkeley parents, left wingers. And uh, he'll be taking over from Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, I just find it fascinating because when it comes to common sense, I think that is why Benjamin Netanyahu appealed to conservatives around the world. Because conservatives, we latch on to common sense. And just like 
President Donald J. Trump wanting to put America first. Benjamin Netanyahu wants to put Israel first. Here's Rush talking about the drive-bys lashing out at Bibi. Netanyahu, to me, is no different than you and me. He's uh, ideologically, his values, his country is an ally of ours, and they have the same Judeo-Christian ethic that we have. They're the one lone outpost of allied status in that region that we have. And we've got the American president and his administration trying to eliminate it, trying to defeat it. That's worth defending to me. Conservatism, the right things... The right values are worth defending. I don't I don't mean to make you think I need to make an excuse for what I've been doing. I'm explaining it. Get up every day and I see the drive-by media hell-bent on defeating Netanyahu. If Netanyahu loses, Iran gets a nuclear weapon. And maybe they do anyway. We don't want Iran with a nuclear weapon. Nobody in that region does except Iran and maybe Hamas and Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, you name it. But other than that, the peace-loving people have no desire for this. Our president seems to want the Iranians to get one. It's a, it's a matter of grave concern. That is what it's about to me. So I believe Western civilization is under attack everywhere, particularly here. The cultural rot that's taking place in America is the result of an attack on Western civilization. The multicultural curricula is an attack on Western civilization. Much of the left is attacking Western civilization, and Benjamin Netanyahu is one who seeks to defend it. So he's an ally. So your real question is, why was the media covering this election so much? Why did they care so much? This New York Times editorial is just, I, I, it, it's so filled with hatred and rage from the, from the headline, an Israeli election turns ugly. And then there are terms like desperate and craven, duplicity, outrageous, demagogy, demagogy, uh, inflammatory, subversive, fear-mongering. Those are just some of the terms used to describe Benjamin Netanyahu in this New York Times editorial, as in this. Mr. Netanyahu showed that he was desperate and craven, enough to pull out all the stops on Monday. He promised that if his Likud faction remained in power, he would never allow the creation of a Palestinian state, thus repudiating a position he had taken in 2009. His behavior in the past six years, aggressively building Israeli homes on land that likely would be within the bounds of a Palestinian state and never engaging seriously in negotiations, has long convinced many people that he has no interest in a peace agreement. No interest in a peace agreement. The only thing he cares about is peace for Israel. That's the thing he cares about, the peace and security of the people of Israel. And he's not going to negotiate it away. And for this, he is hated and despised. Israel's election has done a lot to reveal the challenges facing the country and the intentions of the men who seek to lead it, says the New York Times. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's outright rejection of a Palestinian state and his racist rant against Israeli Arab voters on Tuesday showed that he has forfeited any claim to representing all Israelis. And you see, my friends, it's the exact opposite. Benjamin Netanyahu is protecting the nation of Israel and all who reside there. He is not going to give up its security. He is not going to negotiate away its peace. And there it is. So it's very commonsensical 
And I think that's what attracts people from around the world to leaders like Bibi Netanyahu and President Donald Trump, because they are elected and put in positions to lead, defend, protect, help their own country prosper. And that makes people who sell out their country, like members of our Senate and Congress on both sides of the aisle, that makes them uncomfortable. Because if someone shows up like a President Trump or a strong-willed leader that says America will always be first, our families, our industry, our safety, it will always come first. Now, if you make good money selling out America or selling out Israel or selling out whatever country your strong-willed leader is in charge, you're not going to want that person around. By the way, it is the 14th of June. I want to wish President Donald J. Trump a happy birthday and my brother. uh, I mean, President Trump is not my brother. If he was my brother, my career would have probably taken a completely different path. But uh, no, President Trump is not my brother, although people are claiming that President Trump is their endorser. We'll talk about that later in the show. But happy birthday to my brother in North Carolina. I have to use a code name for security purposes. Lizard Zula Lima Tango Turnip Gemini. 800-282-2882. By the way, it's Flag Day. we got a big thing for that coming up. One of the best headlines out today is from Kurt Schlichter. He writes for Town Hall. And he was discussing uh, Joe Biden preparing to meet Vladimir Putin. And it'll be a private meeting. Thank God for that. So Mr. Biden won't be humiliated anymore. This week. But the headline is this the coma before the storm. Dude, that is a great headline. Oh my gosh. In fact, here here's uh here's Biden talking about knowing what COVID is. COVID is in, I know you all know, but a lot of people may not know what COVID is. That is a system whereby uh, they're gonna provide funding for states to be able to get access to vaccines. Okay, got it. By the way, Jill's calling. She's a doctor. Don't worry. Uh, There's a book out. I want to remind you of it. I've spoken about it before. In fact, uh, I spoke with the author. Joe Biden Unauthorized is the name of the book. All right. It's by a guy named Mike McCormick. And this is the book that really concerned me about Mr. Biden's capacities and abilities. Uh, Mr. McCormick, the author, traveled with Biden around the world and sat in on numerous meetings, including Putin and meetings with China leaders and South American leaders around the, when Joe Biden was the vice president. He was the transcriber. So he was at every meeting to historically document things for the White House record. There's there's one or two of these, sometimes more, in every administration. That's why you can go back to different libraries, the Reagan Library or whatever. Uh, the Clinton Library probably isn't open yet. It's only open like midnight to 2 a.m. because of the dancing and drinks and stuff. But you go back to these libraries, and you could see, you could find out exactly what what was said between these leaders as it's you know released into history well mr mccormick is concerned because he saw how inept 
Mr. Biden was on the national stage. I mean, on the international stage, let alone here. But he saw him uh, be uh, made fun of and mocked and leaders would make him wait. Uh, They would roll their eyes at him. Sometimes he didn't make sense. So he was ahead of this. He knew this before we started. See, we're seeing it now on the national stage. Understand, until now, until Mr. Biden was installed by some weird phenomenon in 2020, before that, we saw a packaged Joe Biden. The news media, much like they did with Hillary, they packaged the people they wanted in positions of power. And now we're seeing... Every time there's a live microphone, I'm sure Biden voters are cringing. Oh, my gosh. That guy on the radio is right. Biden can't put a sentence together. Too late. Too late. He's the commander in chief now. Yeah. Yeah. Find me a Marine that's excited about that. Anyway, so that's an interesting book, and it talks about when uh, Biden would come into these meetings as vice president. And they would borderline poke fun at him. There'd be a leader and there'd be these uh, assistants to the leader. And sometimes they would just talk right in the middle of what he was saying. And it worried me that he wasn't taken seriously. And I thought, well, why would he be? Who in America takes him seriously? Seriously. I'm saying seriously to who takes him seriously. I'm not being redundant with the word seriously. But who does? So why would it be any different if you're Vladimir Putin and you used to be with the KGB and you want to take over the planet, but not as bad as China does, because China's already here doing it through our government. uh, You're not going to be intimidated or bullied. People were so angry when President Trump came back and he said, you know, we had a great meeting with Putin and, you know, they, they found common ground and people were so angry especially Democrats. Democrats have kissed the butt of Russia and communists since about 1920-ish. Now, a president who does not want us in any more wars basically finds common ground with another type A personality. And now the Democrats are upset. They're like, how dare you? How dare you? Well, you're going to have to go back and talk to President Obama about that. How dare you let Crimea happen? How dare you not help Ukraine when they needed it? Et cetera. 800-282-2882. Here's some more more of the guy that got more votes than any other president in history, Joe Biden. And maybe you shouldn't be pushing on strengthening the European Union to deal with the West, not just to have and so on. And I said, for an American president to every every president to be sustained or prime minister has to represent the values of their country. And I pointed out, and I mean this sincerely, we're unique uh, as a country. We're built on we're unique in the sense that we're not based on ethnicity or geography or religion. We're one nation that said we organized on an idea. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal. Sounds corny, but it's real. And any president who doesn't act consistent with what the the raison d'etat for the nation is cannot be sustained at the support of that country. So, you know, when he said, I didn't have a country, 
I got lost there. But you know what really bothered me about that, besides the fact that he's being treated like the president right now? Besides that, he said, I know it sounds corny, but it's real. No, it doesn't sound corny. It doesn't sound corny. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. There's nothing corny about that, China Joe. Sorry. And maybe he needs to reread the critical race theory that his administration is shoving down everybody's throat right now because it's closer to China than it is to the American values. But when a president says, I know it sounds corny, but, you know, it's almost like it reminds me of Barack Obama. You may remember he was the first uh, president of color in the United States. He was like on a magazine cover once or twice. You may have seen him. And it reminds me when he would, he'd always have like an apology in there. Like he was always, you know, America, greatest nation on earth. I mean, not greater than you. I mean, not that great. I mean, we're not that special. We're not, you know, I mean, I don't want to like say America. I get tired of that on the left. Don't you? What the heck's wrong with these people? 800-282-2882. Let's squeeze in a quick call from Chris in Pennsylvania. Hi, Chris. You're on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Hi, Ken. How's it going today? Good. Hey, uh, I I need to correct you on something. I think you and probably half the country is spelling and pronouncing Biden's name incorrectly. You need to put a K in his first name, and it should be Joke Biden. Ah, clever. Well, thank you for calling, Chris. Put a K in the name. Okay, I got it. I got it. It's a joke thing. Grab your cell phone if it's handy. There's a cell phone service provider doing something really smart. Their name is Pure Talk. Pure Talk's monthly service costs just $30 for unlimited text and six gigs of data. Only 30 bucks. That's likely a big savings from your current bill. This is the company Rush recommended, and for a good reason. They provide the same level of coverage as one of the big three carriers, but for less. And when you switch to Pure Talk, you can keep your same phone number while saving all the money. Rush has more details. Hey, folks, there's one sure bet that you can make this year, and that is you're going to use your cell phone more than you did last year. That translates to bigger cell phone bills. You're going to be paying more for it unless you are proactive and do something about that. This is why so many people in this audience are switching their cell phone service from one of the big providers to Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers you unlimited talk, unlimited text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't charge you if you go over your six gigs of data. Now, you compare that monthly price, 30 bucks a month, to your current cell phone bill. Just compare it. Your current cell phone bill, I mean, I would, I'd have to make a guess, but 75, 80 bucks, depending on how many lines and phones you have. Don't know what it is, but 30 bucks a month for unlimited talk, unlimited text, six gigs of data. Now, here's the real icing on the cake. Pure Talk uses the same cell phone towers as one of the biggest cell phone service providers in America. They focus on providing great service and support with every Pure Talk employee 
located in the U.S. From your cell phone, do this. Dial pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Get started. You'll save 50% off your first month. That's pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Just pick up your phone right now. Pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Guess what? Somebody from there will answer and you're off and running. The Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Network. My name's Ken Matthews, your guide host for today. And uh, Rush Rush had a lot of see-I-told-you-so moments. Here's one. Trump was right. You know, one thing that has been axiomatic from the beginning of the Trump presidency, time in and time out, when Trump says something that drives the media nuts, makes them go insane... And it's every day, and it's multiple times a day. It is later proven beyond doubt that Trump was correct. But by then, everybody's forgotten. Nobody cares. Trump seldom gets any credit for being right. And he's right so frequently. He is right so often. One of the things about that, too, that frustrates a lot of us who are not just conservatives, but just we pay attention to the news media, how they cover certain people— When the news media makes a mistake, they rarely come clean on it. It's buried. And we don't have that option. Conservatives don't have that option. Uh, If we make a mistake, it's spray-painted all over the place and repeated over and over and over. And uh, I don't know if you saw the latest statement by Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States. I'm going to read some of it. I'll quote some of it. He goes, have you noticed they are now admitting I was right about everything they lied about before the election? Hydroxychloroquine works. The virus came from a Chinese lab. Hunter Biden's laptop is real. Lafayette Square was not cleared for a photo op. The Russian bounty story was fake. We did produce vaccines before the end of 2020. Blue state lockdowns didn't work. Schools should have been open Much earlier, critical race theory is a disaster for our schools and our country and our kids. Our southern border security program was working until Biden broke it. And we could go on. But that is a great example. When you look at the content driving leftist media and now the only media that doesn't get censored because anything that's anti anything that President Trump just said there is censored. It's pretty amazing. He's right more often than he's wrong. Who would have thunk it? And you could go back to his the very beginning of the, the Trump administration in 2017 when he was sworn in. They were wrong about the surveillance. They were wrong about uh, Russia. They were wrong about Ukraine. 800-282-2882. Let's go to John in Los Angeles, California. John, you're on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Yes, uh, I, I want to thank you first of all for uh, for supporting Trump and and particularly uh, for your condemning Biden for being incompetent. I think that uh, the American people largely can see that Biden is anything but incompetent, and the more the right wing calls him, you know, like a, a, a faded incompetent uh, blob there, the more the American people know that the right wing is absolutely speaking nonsense. 
Can you give me an example of a competent Joe Biden decision? I can give you a million uh, competent decisions. First of all, his decision to uh, invigorate the economy. How did, well, how did he how did, how did he do that? Spending. How did he do that? The large amount of government spending is extremely popular among the American people. It's not popular among Republicans. John, I I hate to break break it to you, but government spending's not popular among anybody because it's our money. But give me something a little bit meatier than a than a leftist talking point. What do you think is the best decision Joe Biden has made so far? Well, I think that if, uh, his he hasn't yet declared it, uh, I, I believe, but I believe that he's going to try to reinstall the uh, the contract that we had with Iran concerning their nuclear weapons. And I think that is extremely important. The breaking of that under Trump was a national catastrophe. In fact, it was a worldwide catastrophe. How so? It has encouraged Iran to go ahead full steam to to uh, develop mm. nuclear weapons, and they have largely succeeded so far. What about the border? What's your take on the border? Is Joe Biden doing the right thing at the southern border with Being Mexico? Able to successfully negotiate with them and have them stop it, and that will be... Oh, you're still... I see what you're important. doing. I see you're still talking off your notes. Well, thank you for calling, John. I appreciate it. And we it's great to get a, a sample of Los Angeles, California. No wonder Newsom is being recalled. But I'm glad you called, sir, and I appreciate you being polite and uh, succinct. We'll be right back on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Thanks for tuning in to the EIB Network. So I have a, an email from Red Voice Media, a guy named Zach Heilman. And here's what Zach thinks. Zach said, Mr. Biden is an embarrassment to himself, his family, Scranton, Delaware, and the United States of America, and the office of the presidency. Over the weekend at the G7, he repeatedly made a fool of himself. Now even the other world leaders are laughing directly in his face as he forgets that the United Kingdom's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, had already introduced the president of South Africa. Joe interjects and then makes some weird double-fisted gesture. Gesture, excuse me. See, I, I think of Joe as a court jester, but he made a gesture. As if he had just won something. He makes a lot of weird gestures, Mr. Biden does. Anyway, Zach goes on to say, just look at his face after he makes those weird gestures. <laughs> it's a look of someone who knows what's going on, possibly. Here's what I hope doesn't happen. I hope when Joe Biden meets with Putin, he doesn't single out some 13 or 14-year-old girl in the audience and says... Look at how she crosses her legs. Doesn't she look like she's 21? Please don't say that, Mr. Biden, ever again. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. 
Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? It look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it would have been Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for being here with us today. 800-282-2882 is the number. On the EIB Network, the Rush Limbaugh Show. For many years, conservatives, led by Rush, picking up on this, probably ahead of most people, this whole woke thing, this whole political correctness thing, uh, I believe it's brought our country to its knees. I think there's no greater way to get a country that is as successful and wonderful as ours uh, to literally end up on their knees. And I'm not just talking about sporting events, but you, you, that it's the craziest thing to see this woke thing that's been happening, how it has perverted some of the great things that have happened in this country by great Americans over the years in history. I'm going to throw out a few things in case you've missed these headlines. We have a New Jersey school district just removed all holiday names from their academic calendar officially. We have uh, the Vermont governor giving non-citizens voting rights. Now, we knew that was coming. Rush knew it was coming. We knew it was coming. In Asheville, North Carolina, I used to live in that neck of the woods. Mostly white, North Carolina City, Asheville, approved slavery reparations 
for black residents. Hundreds of whistleblowers say the military is forcing anti-American indoctrination on them. That's from the the, uh, Epoch Times. And Senator Cotton has spoken about this on the floor at the Capitol. This is a dangerous time because wokeism is propaganda. People that are woke think they're awake. Uh, No, you're not. Woke white liberals think African Americans are helpless. Here is uh, Edward in Kernersville, North Carolina. Great to have you on the EIB Network. Hello. Hi, Mega Dittos, Rush. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that you, sir, are my hero. I always take your advice. Uh, I deleted my Facebook, by the way, and I feel phenomenal. Well, thank you. Uh, I I, appreciate that. Yes, sir. Uh, My question is, how would these white liberals know how it is growing up in an urban community? I'm a 28-year-old Puerto Rican, and I grew up in Newark, New Jersey all my life. There was a point in my life that I was scared to go outside in fear of getting mugged, beat up. But these white liberals never... I mean, they have a complete different picture of how it really is. Well, you know, it's a good question. How do these um, white women, college students, how do they know anything about what it's actually like in African-American neighborhoods? They believe it. Remember, this doesn't happen in one class. It doesn't happen in a week. This happens over the course of a semester, and then you add semesters to the first semester. It just keeps building on itself. And they have the the luxury of time. I mean, go to school, you're going to be in middle school for a couple years, high school for three, then they got you for four years in college, and they can double down and combine, you know, history and then whatever newfangled curriculum courses there are. And they wear people down over time. But they, they know how to psychologically tap into the guilt centers. Let me, you just happened to provide me a great transition here. To the piece de resistance on this whole subject matter today. Charles Love is the author of this piece. He's an assistant executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence. And this piece was uh, adapted from a publication called City Journal. A headline, the piece, What Woke Whites Get Wrong About African-American Priorities. And let me share with you some fascinating pull quotes here. Because they'll answer your question out there, Edward. This month's protest started out as a black movement against police brutality. But they have a totally different look now. In many cases, it is whites who've taken over the protests. And that didn't take long. Pew Research, six out of seven of the protesters, Black Lives Matter protests, are white And the majority of them are white, college-educated women, suburban college-educated women. And they apologize for their white privilege. You ask, how do they know anything about African-Americans' standard of living? They're told that their existence, that their economic standard of living is because of white privilege. It's because... They have denied African-Americans. The country has denied African-Americans. They're saying economic opportunity. They've literally stolen from whatever they can lie about, they do. They apologize for white privilege. Celebrities, athletes, corporate America followed suit. Portland's police chief resigned, asking to be replaced by a black man. 
The CEO of Chick-fil-A urged whites to shine the shoes of black people to show a sense of shame. But why now, Mr. Love asks? Well, to find out, I had to hear what whites were saying. So I listened to the protesters. I talked with my white friends. I read articles and social media posts. What I found was that white people were overwhelmingly depicting black people as desperate, as defeated, with no way to pull themselves out of their misery. Now, folks, I have to tell you that this is exactly the way the civil rights liberals all the way back to the 50s and 60s saw African-Americans and continue to see them to this day. White wokeness particularly among affluent female white college students. White wokeness is the new factor. It has been embedded into the consciousness of whites that blacks are monolithic. They're all the same, that they all face impossible barriers to improvement from standardized tests stacked against them. To the black men being arrested on the nightly news, a growing number of whites believe that black life is unrelentingly grim. Now, my friends, this is precisely the view of baby boomer white liberals. You know what it's rooted in? It is rooted in the same, but it's rooted in what I call the soft bigotry of low expectations. And every white liberal is guilty of this. They look at African-Americans and they see people have no chance. For whatever reason, they see people that just can't do it the way they can. So they feel sorry for them. And then they turn that sympathy to blame on white conservatives, some group that's had nothing to do with any of this. But they can't blame themselves because they're woke. These baby boomer white liberals, many of them in the media, they can't be to blame because they get it. They are sensitive. But they believe that African-Americans don't have a prayer. They believe African-Americans can't do things on their own. They have this guilt over what they believe slavery caused and how long slavery has has, has lived. It's, It's still alive in their view. And so all of this is really rooted in the sympathy that accompanies a belief that these people are incapable of helping themselves, that they're incompetent. And by the way, liberals look at everybody this way. Liberals, this is what they've constructed in order to make themselves feel needed and in order to make themselves feel worthy of power. They damn well believe Mr. Love is exactly right. He's swerved into the truth here. Whites in college are being taught to believe that blacks are helpless. And they're helpless because they're perpetual constant victims. They're victims of an unfair, systemic, racist America. They don't have a prayer. They can't possibly advance. And yet you point out many, whole bunch, there's an active African-American middle class, and you point out, you name them, and boy, do they hate you. Because those people are not independently six. Those are Uncle Toms. Those are sellouts. And those are traitors who were never down for the struggle. Why aren't people like Clarence Thomas held up as examples to follow, as heroes, 
And the answer is because they weren't down for the struggle, because they didn't use affirmative action, because they're nothing but a bunch of step and fetch it blacks who do nothing but cultivate a bunch of white friends and their white friends take care of their sellouts to the race. That's the thing that said that frustrates Shelby Steele out the wazoo. Folks, it is rooted in sympathy. It's rooted in the belief that African-Americans can't do anything on their own, either because America is unfair or because the deck is so stacked against them. And so these African-Americans need white liberals looking out for them, shielding them and protecting them. And it adds up to the soft bigotry of low expectations, meaning I don't think you've got what it takes, pal. I'm sorry. I just don't think you can make it. One of the most insulting attitudes you can have to anybody, regardless of race. And it's pure poison, and it just oozes from the left. And as Rush was saying, sometimes it's pity, because there's a lot of ignorance on the left. And we know that. Listen to them speak. Listen to Joe Biden. Listen to Kamala Harris. Listen to Maxine Waters. Listen to... Uh, The woman is, she's 113 now, but she looks great. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, listen to Nancy. Seriously. Some of them believe it, some of them don't. Some people are just elitist. It's like that person that sees you, maybe your car's all beat up, and they just make that presumption because they're driving a nice car. Maybe they're just leasing it, who knows. Oh, man, so so sad you're driving a 10-year-old car and it's kind of rusty. Man, too bad you're not as cool as I am. Uh, that's the left. That's the left. Leftist elitist will judge and make political decisions on those judgments. They'll judge anything. The size of your house, the color of your skin, your gender. The kind of things that conservatives couldn't care less about. 800-282-2882. This is the Rush Limbaugh Show. We'll be right back. This is the EIB Network. My name is Ken Matthews. I'm your guide host today. Rush was just commenting in that last soundbite about white people, woke white people. And some of them are despicable. Don't get me wrong. Some of my best friends are white. But let me tell you, there's some there's some vile white people out there really doing damage to their communities because of guilt, shame, elitism, wanting to control people, wanting to hold people back. That's not what the country is about. Wokeness and political correctness and fear and critical race theory, all these things, you put them in a blender and they've just destroyed the country. Everybody's so off balance. The, the leaders, the, the teachers, bosses. How'd you like to work HR? Every day something is updated under the Biden regime. Every day. And if uh, if someone looks at you like this, you know, not like this, but like this. See how my eye is? Like that. Did he look at you like that? Okay, get him in here. We're going to fire him. Oh, he didn't look at you like that. He just, oh, okay. This is where we are. And this weakens the fiber of the greatest nation on earth. There is a candidate in Washington State, King County. She is a progressive candidate for the King County Council in Washington State. Now, keep in mind, that's the home of Seattle. Need I say more? It's uh, left-wing Apalooza over there. It's woke Apalooza. Anyway, her name is, and I hope I get this right, and I, and I apologize if I mispronounce it, 
it, it looks like it's Ubax Gardhiri. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but that's what it's spelled like, Ubax. Now, this woman, according to to court documents, okay, she's currently running now for King County to be on the council in King County in Washington State. But court documents have just been discovered, and it was reported, that she once boarded a Seattle school bus. And she intimated she might blow it up. She said that Americans were bad people. Well, that that could have been any Democrat running, actually. But anyway, <clears throat> and she mocked students who got off the bus as cowards. Now, the court documents are from 2010. The case was reported Friday by the Post Millennial. And it was reviewed by Fox News. This was an incident in 2010 in which this woman boarded a school district bus headed to Chinook Middle School in Bellevue, Washington. Now picture picture your kids there on the bus. Here's this woman, a Somali immigrant. She boards the bus heading to the middle school. So you know the age, you're setting the stage here. After boarding, according to the documents, she commanded the driver to call his dispatcher and say that a national security incident was going on. Yes. And then the Somali immigrant reportedly began screaming about American-Somali relations. More than one student reported her saying Americans were bad people, the court documents stated, according to Fox News. You need to calm yourselves down, she said, because I could have a bomb. Look how loose my clothes are, she said, according to an audio recording described in court documents. So here we have a woman who's now running to be on the county board of this Washington state region. And 10 years, well, just over 10 years ago, she boarded a school bus. And while speaking with the middle school students, she said that she might have a bomb. She may even have a gun. This is according to documents from the deputy prosecutor. When students attempted to escape out the back of the bus, she called them cowards and told them they would be responsible if something happened to their classmates. Several students believe she had a weapon of some kind, and many feared for their lives. So there it is. She's probably going to get elected now. No, really. I wouldn't be surprised if she gets a call from Kamala Harris or, or the squad. You know, one of the squad members calls up, hey, they were talking about you on the EIB network on Russia's show. Would you like to be a member of our squad? Love your attitude about America. Isn't that bizarre? We live in a world where censorship is so prevalent among certain people, but others can get away with anything. To me, that's the most troubling thing that's happening right now. As, we, as we've made this transition into a soft dictatorship, socialist-slash-communist approach to everything. In fact, later in the show, we'll, we'll talk about how surveillance is increasing on Americans as we warned you it would. But it's the censorship of anything that doesn't fit what the people in charge want. It gets censored. That's why we have so many people that are out of the loop. They don't hear and see the damage that wokeness is doing. 
there was a sex ed teacher. I got to tell you this. This was this was amazing because I actually saw the video cartoon. And I think Hannity might have played a little bit of it, but he couldn't play too much of it. because Just like I can't talk too much in detail about it because it's so foul. But this is a teacher who taught controversial sex education classes. And you may, when you first hear that, you might think, okay, well, I think ninth graders should know that. No, 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 this was first graders. And there's a cartoon video that shows the characters pleasuring themselves and talking about how to pleasure themselves on their various parts of their body. Yeah, first graders, this is at the Dalton School, the very posh Dalton School in New York. If I'm not mistaken, don't quote me, but I think that's where Jeffrey Epstein taught math many, many years ago because he was supposedly a math genius. Now, the woman that showed this cartoon, Justine Ang Fonte, also taught a one-day workshop on porn literacy to juniors at Columbia Grammar and Prep School. So the high school juniors get porn literacy, and the first graders learn how to pleasure themselves with cartoon characters. See, this is what's going on, but you're not hearing about it. This is what's going on. Children are being taught to hate others, They're being taught to hate America. They're being taught things that they shouldn't even be exposed to until they're at least 18 and they're a consenting adult. This is woke America. This is Obama's America. Throughout her tenure at Dalton, this teacher has helped to develop an exemplary K-12 health and wellness program. This is how they describe her. There's nothing healthy and well about this. And keep in mind, keep in mind that some of these kids haven't learned history. They haven't learned facts about BLM. This is the type of school where people still think BLM is a legitimate organization that isn't just taking people to the cleaners with donations all year long and didn't lose $92 million last year. It's incredible, but that's wokeness. This is the Rush Limbaugh Show, and the number is 800-282-2882. So U.S. apprehensions of migrants crossing the border continue to soar, or some people call them migrants, some people call them, you know, illegal foreign nationals. Uh, Again, wokeness has even creeped into that. Everything that wokeness touches, because wokeness is a propaganda strategy. Wokeness, or would it be a tactic? I always get those confused. But wokeness is designed to control your behavior and your thought. So you you can't think of people like that as illegal, but they are. But you you can't think of that. You can't say that. Now, a friend of mine, he uses PHI, people here illegally. Now, the nice thing about that term is they are people, they are here, and they're here illegally. So there's I don't think there's any angle you can come at that from. Well, you know, Stacey Abrams would say you're racist. I mean, you could walk in and say, hey, did you see that? What, are you racist? So, but the bottom line is, people here illegally do not help you as an American. They don't help our country. They put a strain on the the military. They put a strain on, uh, they put a strain on all our infrastructure. And yet, 
it's continuing to soar. This is from American Military News. It was a familiar scene. Newly released data show that illegal immigrants were stopped 180,000 times across the southern border just during May. That is eight times the total during May last year, and it's one of the highest months in the last 15. Now, it confuses me that the news media and the Democrats do not see this as a problem. I think that's intentional, personally. I think the chaos and the mayhem, I think... Whether they know it or not, I think their strategy is the people that are allowing this to happen, the people at the top of the Biden regime. I think they're intentionally allowing it to happen because it it changes the narrative every day. And you could change the story just by by putting a picture in the news. You could put a, a little child in a cage or you can put a crying mother. It's a horrible, heart-wrenching thing. However, this is not putting America first. And for some reason, things were much better when the wall was being built and continued to be built. And the irony of it, more American immigrants favor President Trump's approach to the border safety and entry through legal means Then not. And that's something no one ever talks about. Again, this is a habit that the Democrats have. Every race, every group is somehow monolithic that, you know, if if you're here as a legal immigrant, then you must agree with the people that sneak over at night from El Paso or you must agree with the stowaway on the ship that ended up in Mexico from Syria, and now he's coming in through Mexico. You must agree with him because you're an immigrant. And that is the ignorance of the news media and the left right there. People who are here legally are proud Americans. They're great Americans. And that is the, that's the dynamic that makes America so awesome. That's the dynamic. Because the Constitution does not judge people. The Constitution doesn't judge people. And the founding principles of this country and our current laws, well, I got to back up a little bit on our current laws because Biden regime and Obama brought in a whole new bunch of racist laws. But up until Obama, we weren't judging people that way, immigration-wise. People wanted to let people in on merit. People wanted to make sure that if someone was a threat, they couldn't come in. That's common sense. That's what President Trump wanted to do. And after a while, the Democrats, well, they've lost most credibility on immigration. In fact, Kamala Harris, to me, is the greatest, greatest failure. That was the biggest loss of credibility. I got to tell you, she she presents herself like an airhead. And I have nothing against airheads because I went to high school once, too, and it's good to have a few around. But she presents herself like an airhead. And it's it's a crying shame. And and when people were pushing her and asking her, are you going to the border? Are you going to the border? 
the fact that she's getting angry over that, she's in charge of the border. Why isn't she going to the border? Can you imagine if that was Mike Pence? Could you imagine if any of this was a conservative? But the media keeps running cover for her, for the most part. A few Democrats in the media have mouthed off about it, but I'm sure they got a call from somebody. Stop picking on Kamala. She's doing the best she can. She just got a new pair of Timberlands. She'll be wearing those. She's got those kick-ass sneakers she shows off all the time. She knows fashion. She may not know much else, but she knows fashion. So stop picking on her. But that's an embarrassment. But I will say, as we mentioned before, uh, if you come over the border, you get a free copy of her book. Yes, you do. Yep, you get it for free. Well, we paid for it, but you get it. You get a backpack. You get a copy of her book. You get train ticket or, depending on location, airline ticket. And you get signed up. You get like a voucher for benefits and things like that. You know, recently we spoke with Mike Pompeo. Here he is uh, from Fox News this morning. It's not the conditions down there that have caused the current crisis at the border. It is the policies of the Biden administration. It's caused enormous devastation to the human beings that are being trafficked across the border. This is not only bad for them, it's really bad for the United States. And it's not a result of what's happening in Central America. It's a result of what's happening in Washington, D.C. He nailed it. Nailed it. This ridiculousness of, I'm going to go down to Guatemala. I think that's where she went, where she made a fool of herself more than once. I'm going to go down to Guatemala, and I'm going to check out this climate change thing, because that's why people are sneaking into El Paso and sneaking into San Diego. It's damn climate change. No, it's not. Don't be a fool. There's 10th graders that know more about the border than Kamala Harris does. It's heartbreaking to watch. These people are suffering. And they need definitive answers. They need leadership. And, and President Trump gave them leadership. He was crystal clear. And I bet if you were to interview those people, and I don't even think you're allowed to. The last time I heard from a source that I have, the media isn't even allowed near, near these points, these choke points where people are coming in and they're rescuing them and then they're separated and they're put in different Uh, holding areas and whatever, the media isn't even allowed. But if you were to interview these people, I bet they would say, we're so confused. Do do you want us or do you not? Do you you like us or do you not? Should we come here or shouldn't we? Should I bring my child or should I send my child? Understand, intentionally, people around the world have been getting a mixed message about how they can enter this country. For a long time, from President Obama, now they're getting it from Joe Biden. But they've always gotten this mixed message. Even when Donald Trump would be firm, I, I'll never forget, he would make these firm statements, and he would always expound on the love of people and the protecting vulnerable people, women and children at the border, and we have to have the wall set up so everybody comes through the same entry point so we can make sure that good people are protected, bad people are prosecuted. Even then, lefties in Congress would get up and trash them. Oh, that's so racist. No, I don't think there's anything more hurtful than saying, oh, everybody can come in, you're all welcome. Oh, don't come, you're not welcome. Oh, I meant you're welcome. Don't come, you're welcome. This is, think about the people that get uh, mixed messages in transit. How terrifying that must be. I think when you really care about people, you have clear rules, you have a clear procedure, 
and you're definitive, I think the most stressful thing on anybody, and I think Americans are feeling it right now uh, firsthand, not just near the border, but throughout the country, is this, this lack of clarity, this uncertainty of everything. There's uncertainty around everything. The border, the, the policies from state to state, the, the lockdowns, there's just no clarity anywhere. And that translates to no leadership. You know, the worst kept secret in the cell phone industry is how expensive great cell phone service can be. It's not good news for the big three cell phone carriers, I'll tell you that. People are abandoning their overpriced wireless carriers and they're signing up with Pure Talk for the same coverage, but it's at a fraction of the price. If you're with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, switching to Pure Talk could save your family over $800 a year. Switching is as easy as switching out your SIM card. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. There's a reason why Rush trusted Pure Talk, and there's a reason tens of thousands of listeners here on the EIB network have made the switch. Pure Talk delivers unparalleled customer service with every one of their reps based right here in the USA. Get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. And if you go over on your data, they don't charge you for it. From your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say Pure Talk, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's pound 250, say Pure Talk. You'll have the option to receive a one-time auto-dialed text message from Pure Talk. And back to the phones we go on the EIB Network, the Rush Limbaugh Show. My name is Ken Matthews. I'm your guide host for today. Thank you for being here on Flag Day. The number is 800-282-2882. Let's go to Brandon, Aberdeen, South Dakota. And, uh, you know, your uh, governor has a fan club like you cannot believe all over the world. Yes, sir. Welcome. Thank you, Ken. How are you doing? Good. Okay. Um, I wanted to uh, kind of give you my take on Vice President Harris and maybe see what you think about it. Um, I'm kind of looking at how she's been acting and the way she's been doing lately. And my opinion, it kind of looks to me like she is going off the reservation, as Rush would have said it. Um. They, they, back during the campaign, you know, they when they offered her the position as vice president, um, you know, obviously they probably told her, okay, we're going to give you this position, but you've got to, you know, walk the line. And she must have agreed to it because they gave her the position. But uh, now that they're in office, they put her in charge of the border. And um, obviously, you know, maybe just to keep her in check and, She's not doing it. She doesn't want to do it. So she's just not going to do it. Um, She's off doing her own thing. She's almost like she's campaigning already. And, you know, it it just looks to me more like her actions would say she's, like I said, off the reservation. She's doing her own thing. And um, once in a while you're seeing just a small bit of pushback from um, from the media, you know, starting to press her on, you know, hey, what are you doing on the border? Um, that I, I, that might be a way, just kind of a way of uh, warning her, you know, saying, "Hey, better start hmm. 
getting in here and towing the line. Interesting. No, that's a very interesting observation, Brandon. I uh, I think sometimes she just appears to be stoned. And uh, I, I just, uh, you know, I know she's very pro-legalization of marijuana and, uh, you know, she giggles a lot. And I'm being serious. I think she's just like totally a free spirit. Uh, uh, about a month, about two months into the campaign, I predicted, maybe three months, I predicted on my show in Central PA, WHP 580, I predicted, uh, and it's funny because my producer and I, we found the, we found the cut uh, last week. We're going to play it next week. But I predicted that Kamala Harris would be the vice presidential candidate on a Joe Biden ticket. And everybody thought I was crazy because, you know, her numbers were terrible and she's really not that competent. And then she holds all these really bad records as the former attorney general in California, like putting more men of color in for drug charges in jail than any other attorney general. Just a lot of bad, bad stuff. Uh, it's 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 memeapalooza on the Internet. And most of it is true regarding her. She's very much an opportunist. But I thought because Joe Biden was doing so poorly and anybody who followed poll, I mean, he was doing poorly until about 2 a.m. the night of the election. But that's another day. So he was doing so poorly. I said, the only thing that's going to save him is if you put another first on the ticket. So you're going to have to put a woman of color on the ticket. Now, she's not a gay woman of color like the mayor of Chicago. That would have been... That would have been a home run. Uh, but that's that's what I said. And voila. Because I think they needed somebody that wouldn't overshadow Joe. But they can say, as if you've ever seen her at a speaking engagement, every time they announce her. Ladies and gentlemen, the first woman of color vice president of the United States. Yes! But what have you done? None of your business. I'm going shoe shopping. Have you been to the border? No, but I'm the first woman of color on the vice presidential ticket. So that's, it's as simple as that. I don't think they wanted, I don't think they wanted someone really sharp in the VP slot because I got two words, Joe Biden. There's your answer. So uh, what Brandon was saying, it could make sense. I mean, maybe they said, you're going to do this, but you're going to, I don't even think it's a matter of her saying, I don't want to do it. I don't even think she knows what she's doing in that position. I see no leadership coming out of the office of the vice president. I think that Susan Rice is running part of the administration, and Joe Biden and John Kerry are running the other parts. We'll be right back. Hour three of the Rush Limbaugh show coming up. And Rush reminds us about the dangers of socialism. So much of liberalism is a fantasy, theoretical fantasy. They believe still the Soviet Union would have worked out if the right people had been in charge and if there had just been enough money spent. People today think FDR goofed by not spending enough. That socialism is the only way to go. The right people are in charge, have big enough hearts... And uh, an unlimited bank account. Socialism is still people who believe this. And they are dangerously engaged in fantasy island. And those that are not fantasizing, who genuinely believe it, are even worse and more dangerous. Speaking of socialism, and I, I neglected to mention this before, uh, when we were talking about Kamala Harris, I think that in addition to Susan Rice, 
and uh, John Kerry. I think Barack Obama is probably in the driver's seat more often than you know, with a little Hillary Clinton sprinkled in. I think they are running the Harris-Biden regime. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Nice to see you in hour three of the Rush Limbaugh show on the EIB network on a very special day. And I hope it's sunny where you are. The sun has come out where I am in my Pennsylvania bunker studio. It is flag day, June 14th, 244 years ago. Congress commemorated Betsy Ross's creation of the stars and stripes as our national flag. And uh, I was raised like millions of Americans. Uh, you respect the flag. I, I, even though I'm non-military, I know how to fold the flag, display the flag, the history of the flag. You never let the flag hit the ground when you uh, dispose of the flag. And one of the uh, 
among the more special moments of when my kids were young now, the, uh, they're 17 and 20 almost, and uh, but when they were scouts, when they were Cub Scouts, Weeblows, Boy Scouts, we would go to this event where everybody would get their old flags, tattered, uh, ragged flags, and you ceremoniously dispose of them in the correct way, the honorable way. Uh, you burn them, but you burn them together and you uh tell stories and you comment on american history it was i gotta say as a as a scout dad back in the day it was one of the coolest events i have these beautiful photographs of my kids and the other scouts in their uniform reading little parts of american history and then we we got new flags you replace it with the new flag and the flag looked different throughout the years i mean there's 27 variations actually as America grew through the colonies to 50 states, there were 27 variations. Uh, and I think the, the, the left, at one time or another, has hated all of them. They've managed to hate all of them. Remember the big Betsy Ross thing? Remember the big fundraiser on the Rush Limbaugh show? That started because the left, were they were acting like knuckleheads again. We have a great story told by Rush of when he received a very special delivery involving our American flag. I've told this story before. Some of you who have been uh, longtime listeners have heard the story, but it is worth hearing it again. It's May of 2003. A couple of months earlier, we began the invasion of Iraq, one of the first acts in the war on terror. This was the war that was to remove and eliminate Saddam Hussein. George W. Bush had spent a year and a half traveling the country, explaining it, uh, gearing up support for it. It was a major, major conflict in the war on terror and our response to it. And it had become controversial, of course. The Democrats, the unity after 9-11-2001 lasted about two weeks, and then that became politicized. And on that day in May, early May of 2003, I went home. Well, I'd gotten a note before I got home. You have got to come straight home. You won't believe what just arrived FedEx. I said, what is it? Just tell me. He said, no, you have to see this. So I got home and I looked at what I had received and I was, I was floored. I was stunned. I'd never seen anything like it. I didn't know these things happened. I was moved. I was blown away. I felt small. I, I, did, I ran through all kinds of emotions. I mean, in lickety-split fashion. What it was, was a, an American flag properly folded inside a Ziploc bag. And there were certificates stating that flag had flown on the following aircraft. And each aircraft had a... Uh, well, you, you would frame it. It's like an official notification of the date that the aircraft flew that flag on a mission. There were five different aircraft and a tanker. And all of the pilots of the five different aircraft in the tanker had signed the documents certifying that that flag had flown. The tanker pilot was the originator, the mastermind of this. And he included a handwritten note on yellow legal paper explaining that these five crew members 
had flown that flag in my honor on the initial bombing runs, the first bombing runs in the war against Iraq, the shock and awe portion. And as their missions were completed, and as they were all refueled by this tanker pilot, that flag was put in the Ziploc bag, and the pilots all signed these certifications, and they were FedEx to me. And they did nothing more than that. I received this and was floored. As I say, I went through a mixture of emotions, including humility and smallness. And I'm I'm asking myself, what have I done? Because this was an honor. I mean, it was clearly an honor. I didn't know things like this happened. I just not enough experience in actual military combat circumstances to know that time was taken for this kind of ceremonial or memorial-type event. Well, we took that flag and we unfolded it, and it's now framed. And the certificates with all those signatures and the pictures of each of the aircraft, and there's fighters, there's bombers, and the tanker, they surround the flag, and we went, we had an actual golden eagle carved to stand, and it's about five feet tall once it's on its pedestal. It's huge. And we put this in a niche, big niche in uh, in a room right outside my library. So you can't miss this when you're walking into the library. People who don't know about this ask, what in the world is that? And I get them, regale them with the story. I said, yeah, these guys threw that flag in my honor uh, on the initial bombing run of Iraq. Well, the ringleader of this operation was Lieutenant Colonel Mark Asara. He flew the tanker. He flew KC-135s, which is the military version of Boeing 707, and the KC-10, which is the military version of the DC-10. And he's the one who'd written the the note on yellow legal paper explaining why they did it. And it was filled with uh, recognition and support and thanks for the support I had given the military over the years. As I say, I was just... I was blown away by it. It was an honor that that I didn't even know existed, and I had no idea it was coming. And even now when I stop and think about the fact that it happened, it's it's one of those events that happens uh, in your life or in your career that you never forget and that you're always going to be overwhelmingly and supremely proud of. Well, over the years, uh, Catherine and I have gotten to know Lieutenant Colonel Hassara and his wife and his family, and we see them now and then. And they're just, folks, these these people that you never meet, they're just humble. When I talk about people who make the country work, these are the people I'm talking about. They're out there volunteering every day. They sign up to defend the country, to protect the Constitution, to carry out their orders. They're doing it because this is how they've decided they want to serve their country. In Hussar's case, it's been his life, uh, and most of these other pilots, they never really leave it, even after their service ends. But they never seek any fame. They didn't send me this for fame. They didn't send this for notoriety or notification or anything else. They just sent it as distinct honor. I can't tell you, I mean, I sitting here, I'm looking at this package, and we're going through the process of getting this all framed and... And I'm thinking, here these guys have their orders. They're part of the initial bombing run. And before they leave, somebody organizes this tribute to me 
by having this flag fly in every one of these aircraft. I want you all to know about it simply because this is a great American. These guys that flew that flag for me are exactly what I say. They're the best kept secrets in this country. You know, the most frustrating thing and painful thing for patriotic Americans, which this audience is filled with millions and a lot of military, is the way some of the people on the left speak of the flag and the military and what they're doing to the military. That is so... It First of all, it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand where that comes from. You see uh, uh, a 30-year-old member of the squad or, or some uh, idiot like Congressman Swalwell, and they're talking trash about something that we all know better about, like the military, for example. And what Rush was just describing, the honor, and there, there is a level of sacred respect with the flag for a billion reasons. And for that no longer to be taught in schools, it's, it is heartbreaking. But, but it goes even further than that, because what we have now is a regime under Biden Similar to the regime we had under Obama, I often call the current regime the Joe Obama regime because, uh, like President Obama said in an interview with somebody that was kissing his butt on a major news network, it could have been any of them, he said, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to get a little earpiece and just tell who's ever in the Oval Office, you know, I'd like to run it from my basement. Done. He's two blocks away from the White House. And when it's, it's interesting because you see some of these sentiments coming out of the White House. Like um, uh, certain flags that can and cannot be flown and certain things about the American flag. And now you see what's being taught and part of the instructional curriculum in the regime of this particular military. And it's heartbreaking. People are being uh, surveilled because of their passions to put America first. But. If depending on your age and if you're a obviously you're a Rush Limbaugh listener because you're listening. But when you think about this crop of people that are comfortable with saying things like we don't want the flag. Don't no, We don't need the flag. There's not going to be a flag there. American flag. Get that out of here. This is no place for the American flag. It's no place for the American flag. It's America. And then when you see crazy things like <clears throat> I did a. Uh, I was one of the speakers at a rally about six months ago, no, like five months ago, in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's our capital. That's where I work. And uh, there's the American flag. And then hanging on the front of the capital, and I know this happens in all over the country, and it drives people crazy, but hanging on the front of our capital building, which is one of the most beautiful capitals in the country. You should check it out. The Pennsylvania Capitol. Google it. The pictures are beautiful. There is a giant flag to for people that want to legalize marijuana. It's a big. It's a big reefer flag. I'm not kidding. And right next to it is the gay pride flag. This is back in January, I believe. And that's illegal. You can't do that. But it doesn't matter because that's how liberals think. That's how the left thinks. I don't care about what the rules are, the laws are, the Constitution. 
I'm in charge and you're not. And that's we're just getting such a load of that coming out of Washington and blue states right now. And, it, and it's got to be frustrating. And, and Rush worshipped the men and women of the military. And uh, as they should be in many cases, because there's so much heroic behavior that goes on in that organization that you don't hear about because they follow the chain of command. And it's got to be frustrating to see what's happening to our flag and and the founding principles of this country. And they're actually teaching people to say stupid things like the flag is racist or this is racist or that's racist. It's heartbreaking. But I do believe people are getting uh, awakened. I think there's more people awake than there are woke. And I think that's what's going to save the country. We'll be right back. And speaking of Flag Day and the American flag, by the way, my name's Ken Matthews. I'm your guide host today on the Rush Limbaugh Show, the EIB Network. I'm thrilled that you're tuning in. I'll be back later in the week. And um, in Fairfax County, that's Virginia. And as far as I know... um, Unlike New York and California, Virginia still is a state in America. From, from, I believe it is. I don't know if they're because I know where the some of the uh, some of the states are breaking away, and and we're fighting to keep the free states like Florida and Texas, and you know the drill. So Fairfax County School Board member gave a commencement speech last week, and I and I just want you to I'm just going to share a little of the content with you because this is what we when I say we I'm talking about Americans. All Americans, this is what we're up against. And, I, and, and the liberals and the leftists are so comfortable with dropping poison into the youth population. That's, that's the issue. You know, and earlier in the show, we had that situation where the woman was teaching just uh, all kinds of sexual activities to first graders. And it's like, what the heck is going on? But all of this has been going on for years. It's just now coming out. This is how you take control of the population. You make them weak. You make them confused. You make them doubt themselves. They doubt their country. They doubt their God. That's how you do it. And then you bring up your uh, your uh, commencement speaker. And this was in Fairfax uh, County. Mostly minority high schoolers about to step in. Uh, she said you're about to step into a world filled with racism, white supremacy, and extreme versions of individualism. Now, who says that except an angry leftist? Extreme versions of individualism? Translation, uh, I can be as individual as I want, but you're a conservative, so shut up. That's kind of that takeaway. Uh, This board member's name is Abrar Amish, and uh, she happens to be the Muslim member of this particular school board, and she delivered the keynote address for Justice High School. In Falls Church, Virginia. One who picked that name. I don't know, but it's it's justifiable. The president of the student government introduced her, noting that uh, Abrar Amish campaigned for Bernie Sanders and that her father, Assam Amish, was leader and board member of a very popular Islamic center that happened to be attended by two of the 9-11 hijackers and uh, Nadel Hassan, the 2009 Fort Hood shooter. Uh, again, details, silly details. But here's a few things she said. And imagine your son or daughter is at this event, and there is the Justice High School, home of the Wolves, by you, by the way. The Wolves. 
And they were pumping this propaganda poison into the minds of this mostly minority group of graduates. It, it just never ends. It's so heartbreaking that these young people cannot catch a break as long as they're trapped in this cycle of leftist garbage. So here's some of the things she said. Today we checked off a box in your academic journey as a human being. You have developed and you have grown. You understand that social justice is only political for those that can afford to ignore it. You understand that neutral is another word for complicit. And you have made a choice to take a stand. I mean, she goes on to warn graduates that they are stepping into a divisive world that will try to keep them down. That's exactly why I'm here, to tell you to remain steadfast, to keep your eyes on the prize. Our world is overwhelmed. We struggle with human greed, racism, extreme versions of individualism and capitalism, white supremacy, growing wealth gaps, disease, climate crisis, extreme poverty, and missed luxury and waste right next door. And the list goes on, she said. Holy moly, is this woman going to get asked back? You know, I also speak for a living. I just can't even... I can't even imagine spewing that to a bunch of people on, on what should be one of the more happiest, happier days of their lives. But this is a Virginia school board member, and people are comfortable with this. You know, think about it. There was a time 30, 40, 50 years ago, people would be yelling at her to shut up. Now they're afraid to. Now they can't. They'll, they'll, they'll tell a white conservative Christian male speaker to shut up. Even when he says, hello, I'm here to speak to you. But this is, this is what we mean by wokeism. They just outed, and I forget the gentleman's name. Uh, I don't know why I'm calling, a gentleman, calling him a gentleman, but I'll be on the safe side. But they just outed a guy who was totally trashing white people as part of a new curriculum in uh, special operations in the military. And he was indoctrinating these new recruits. And he was saying things like, you need to be aware that white people are the problem in this world. And we're not going to tolerate that in this unit. And I'm like, what? But that's where we are. We, we allowed a lot of this to happen. And that's why I am so excited to see these parents showing up at these school board meetings. You've seen them. They're viral. They're all over the Internet. Parents are walking into these meetings, which they have every right to speak at because they pay for the meeting and they pay those they pay the people that are there as far as the academics, the teachers, whatever. But they're speaking up. They're looking at these books and they're saying enough. Glad you're with us today on the EIB network. By the way, Jason Lewis in tomorrow on the Rush Limbaugh show, he'll be your guide. How many people have noticed that prices are going up? Just a show of hands, please. Okay, all right, ma'am. No, 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 don't take your hand off the wheel. She's doing her makeup, and she has a cell phone. I don't know how you do that, but but seriously, this is a real big problem, and we knew it was going to happen. That's the other thing that's so frustrating, because as much as you want to go up to, of course, I've only met three so far, go up to someone that voted for Joe Biden, uh, where, wherever they are, I, I know they're, they show up on network news a lot, but I don't know where else they are. But 
as tempting as it is to say, see, I told you so, you don't want to say that because it's bad for America. And it, it kind of justifies, again, Rush is justified because, if you recall, all the controversy that's that just was swirling around Mr. Limbaugh regarding hoping that Obama's uh, agenda failed. And that's what you want to do with a socialist. You want to hope that socialism fails, communism fails, elitism, collectivism. You want that to fail because it doesn't benefit anybody. It hurts everybody. And here we are with uh, the price of used cars up 7.3% last month. They gained 10% in April. Home prices, record highs. Appliances up 12%. And for you folks that are that are in the thick of it, you know that plywood is what ten ten times what it was last summer. I'm not exactly sure. A, a friend of mine's uh, he's a framer, and he told me that uh, the sheets of plywood are crazy now. Everything's crazy. Building supplies, uh, tires, food, meat, all kinds of things. Things that we need. And uh, well, look at there's an article here. I just saw it worries about big ticket and. Item inflation hit the worst level since 1982, and that's from Breitbart. But that's the, you know, the big ticket items as well. And it's it's confusing because we knew this was going to happen. Now, some of the news media is covering this. You know, they, they, they're covering it on Fox and Newsmax and a handful of others. But all of this could have been avoided. There is this ridiculous myth again that we've got to raise taxes, and that's never worked ever, 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 ever. And this myth that, uh, uh, what is it, uh, oh, I forgot, what is it called, uh, Cain, Cainism, is that what, it's, what is it called? Mike, can, I forget the uh, the thing that Obama was always talking about. Um, oh, Cainism, I think. But anyway, it's pretty much mercantilism, and that's completely different than what we've been sold. Everybody gets sold this bag of goods that socialism benefits everybody, but socialism only benefits the people at the top. It doesn't benefit everybody. That's why there's less involvement in unions right now than any other time. Unions are at their smallest enrollment right now. In 2021, union membership, which is something that a lot of people don't talk about, but you don't need it anymore. You don't need all these people with their fingers in your pie. You don't need all these people saying, no, 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 we'll take care of that. Don't no, Don't you worry. We'll take care of it for you. And when you despite all this overall consumer expectations still are, it, it depends who you talk to. I've actually run into people Let's say I think things are going pretty good, and I don't know what planet they're on. I don't know if they're the same people. Preliminary June survey showed expectations for inflation declining a bit, but in the one-year forecast and the five-year forecast, even with the decline, expectations for the next year remain at their highest point in a decade. And again, the big-ticket item since 1982. Let's go back, shall we, to 2009. Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. This is uh, Steve. Great to have you on the program, sir. Hello. 
Hello, Rush. Good afternoon. I think you're exactly right about the liberals' need for a crisis, and I think there's a little long-term planning going on here. And whether it's next year or the year after, it's the inflation crisis. They're deliberately inflating the currency through deficit spending and through monetary policy. And we're going to hear a couple years from now that we need a greater social safety net for seniors because those on fixed income get adversely affected by inflation, for the poor because the poor get adversely affected by inflation. And we can't do it through deficits now. We need to raise taxes. Exactly. You've nailed it. Excellent. Way to go. You should apply for a fellowship here. You have just nailed exactly what's going to happen. The Federal Reserve, I, I got a note from a professional golfer friend of mine who had just heard that the Federal Reserve is uh, going to pump a trillion dollars into the credit markets. And the professional golfer said, where, where are we getting this? I said, we are printing this. We don't have this. We are printing this money. Three hundred billion of it, by the way, to buy the long bond, which is causing bond price or bond yields to plummet. Uh, what else is going to happen with inflation? The value of the dollar is going to decrease, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes, sir, Bob. So we're going to need exactly what you said. We're going to have chaos. We're going to need tax increases and increased social safety net. Gasoline prices. By the way, the inflation is already starting. And you're going to hear this is the need for the government to take over more role in energy and price of the crude at the pump and every other uh, sector they can get their hands on. College education, the work. Well, don't forget, when it gets really bad, then we'll hear the need for price controls. In fact, there already are some economists out there who are now starting to sound the drums for price controls. Of course, the bourgeois love the notion of price controls. They think that means prices will remain steady. (laughs) They are deadly. They are one of the worst mistakes that can be made unless you're trying to just turn everything upside down economically. That would create a a depression. If that's what they want, that's how they can do it. You know, uh, what I mispronounced before is Keynes, Keynesian, Keynesian economics. It's always thrown me off. At least I've been consistent since college. I've always mispronounced it. (laughs) I've always mispronounced it. I don't know why. I don't know because if you look at it quickly, it looks like it's 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 spelled Kenya. okay? and then it's but but it's not. But Keynesian economics, this is something that uh, President Obama embraced. And when you do the research on that, you realize it's bad. Sounds good, but it's bad. And one of the reasons it's bad is, and not to go crazy, but off into the weeds, but Keynes was all about classical economics, you know, like Adam Smith kind of stuff. But then somewhere in the 30s, I want to say mid-30s, then he started changing his tune. And I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know if it's the way, if it was like what happened that happens today to you see people that are in the Republican Party, and then all of a sudden they start changing their tune. Maybe they got an exciting business opportunity. I don't know. But he started changing his tune, and it became, and the whole Keynesian economics thing, I think this is why people like John Kerry and Hillary and uh, Obama and Biden, when, when Biden's, when, when he's not napping, uh, they embrace it because basically it says if you have power and you're wealthy, hook up with the government no matter who you are and we'll take care of you. That's pretty much Kinsian 
That's pretty much what it is. It doesn't take care of the middle class. It doesn't take care of the little guy. And to me, it reminds me of communism, but it's just prettier. It's like communism without, you know, all the censorship. So when you think about it, I guess the Biden regime has done something remarkable. They brought kind of the worst of about five different economic theories and the worst political ideologies all into one place. The Oval Office. So we've got the worst. We have the worst of all worlds. The economy. Look what they're doing to the military. Look what they're doing to the academic situation. Look at the border. Look at the culture. Oh, my gosh. They're running the whole gig. 800-282-2882 is the number on the EIB network. Maybe we can squeeze another call in here. But first, if you're interested in refinancing your mortgage, be in touch with the lender that Rush recommended to us. American Financing. This is the company that puts your needs first. American Financing is a family-owned mortgage lender that customizes loans for both new purchases and refinances. Depending on your situation, you could save hundreds, if not thousands, a month. Here's Rush with the details. Mortgage rates are still very low, and that makes homeownership very affordable, especially when you work with our friends at American Financing. Their mortgage consultants are in it for you. They create custom loan programs designed around your budget, including access to some of the most competitive interest rates. There's never any pressure, no obligation, no upfront or hidden fees. It really is a straightforward process that will get you further along in your plans. Start saving on your mortgage by calling American Financing. Here's the phone number Rush always shared with you, 800-795-1210. That's 800-795-1210. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net, NMLS182334. That's NMLSConsumerAccess.org. It's the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Network. My name's Ken Matthews. Tomorrow, uh, Jason Lewis will be your guide host. Today's EIB High Note. It's it it's uh it's about the winner of the 145th Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. I know we have a lot of dog people in the audience. The name is Wasabi, and Wasabi is a 13 and a half pound Pekingese, which I think is way too big. But anyway, uh, Wasabi won the coveted Best in Show prize shortly before 11 p.m. last night. I was glued to it like no, I wasn't. I didn't even know it was on. But it was at uh, Lindhurst Mansion in Terrytown, New York. He comes from a long line of winners, by the way, so don't underestimate Wasabi. In 2017, his father, Pickwick, won best in the toy group. And prior to that, his grandfather, Malachi, took best in show in 2012. Even his mom, Sushi, was ranked the number one show dog in the country. Talk about pressure. His handler, David Fitzpatrick, said it wasn't just good genes that secured Wasabi the top spot. He's got the charisma and the movement and the showmanship that you like to have in a big ring at a show like this. And, you know, he's in his prime and he just looks wonderful. I, I don't know about you, but I just I just think it's so entertaining hearing a grown man talk about a 13 and a half pound Pekingese like that. It's got the charisma, the movement, the showmanship.
to be in the big ring, the big show. Now, what I saw, and you could check it out at RushLimbaugh.com. We have the photographs. Perhaps you've seen Wasabi. Wasabi looks like uh, an Ewok to me. Chewbacca. Like a friend or a distant relative of Chewbacca. Or a gremlin. Or a wig with eyes. And again, I don't mean to pick on Pekingese, but I just... You know what I think it is? And by the way... Uh, the Westminster Dog Show is the second oldest continuously running sporting event in the United States. And it is considered a sporting event. So congrats to Wasabi. Uh, but again, I I was thinking if maybe this is an effort to make this dog show even more diverse. Because I don't even know what Wasabi is. No, no, I'm not talking gender. I don't know what type of animal it is. I cannot tell. If you saw Wasabi walking down the street, wasn't there a song? If you see me walking down the street. Walk on by, that's it, yeah. Uh, if you saw Wasabi, you would be like, what is that? What, what is that? It's not a raccoon. Is it, is it an, it's not an aardvark. It's, it doesn't have the shell to be an armadillo, but uh, I guess it's cute. I guess it's cute. But here's my here's my biggest concern about Wasabi. And if you go to RushLimbaugh.com, you'll see Wasabi there. My concern is Wasabi is a fire hazard. So Wasabi is the last pet you want to take to, you know, uh, we're going to have a, a sing around the fire, you know, like a campfire. We're going to take him camping or he snuggles up by the fireplace i don't think you can get this guy near a spark so once again now that i've totally insulted wasabi uh congratulations to the little canine we'll be right back so uh mojo just said uh, he's from the eib team here and he just said that uh wasabi the pekinese that won the westminster dog show he looks like a swiffer Maybe you could train Wasabi to dust your home and your floors. And then when you're done, take Wasabi outside, rinse them off. And with that, we're going to go to a phone call. Matt in Spokane, Washington. Hi, Matt. You're on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Hey, good afternoon, sir. Welcome. Uh, I'm a 28-year listener. Uh, I miss Rush every day. I'm grateful to the EIB team for making his voice still audible to us after his passing. And I just had a comment about Flag Day. Uh, it's a beautiful summer day in Spokane. I'm looking at a flag right now. And as a military veteran, um, I have sadly stood before more than a few flag draped caskets. Um, I've met the families afterwards. I've heard those quiet words spoken on behalf of a grateful nation. But most tragic of all, I'm also married to a Gold Star mother. And a Marine recently handed me a sticker that's on the back of our vehicles, and it says, those who disrespect the flag have never been handed a folded one. Incredible message. Thank you so much for calling, Matt. God bless you, and God bless the Air Force, the Marines, all the military. Matt said when he was first on, he's uh, Air Force vetted, if you missed it. But it is Flag Day, so fly the flag and uh, take a moment to tell someone why you fly your flag. I'm Ken Matthews on the EIB Network. Tomorrow, Jason Lewis will be your guide. I hope you have an incredible week. I'll see you later. 
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.